You may be seated. Here in our gospel reading this morning, we might expect that Jesus is speaking to someone else. To the crooked, to the criminals, to the clergy. No doubt that Jesus is speaking to a particular people. He's speaking to the Jews, and particularly to their religious leaders. But we must not think that this parable, which is fundamentally about the consequences of rejecting God's servants and son, has nothing to do with us. No, it has everything to do with us. We are all guilty. And the better we grasp this truth, surely the better off we will be. For Jesus quotes Psalm 118, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. So I invite you to open up your Bibles and your booklets to our gospel reading this morning, Matthew chapter 21. Verses 33 to 44. Let us humbly listen to what our Lord has to say to us this morning. Let us see what a great privilege it is for us to be of our Lord's vineyard. Let us see who we are and learn what consequences there will be unless we humble ourselves. Unless we turn from our wicked ways and produce the fruit of the Lord's vineyard. The parable before us is often called the parable of the wicked tenants. But before it's about the wicked tenants, it's about the blessed owner of the vineyard. We are told that the owner went to great lengths to develop a productive vineyard. That he sent servants on two separate occasions to collect the vineyard's fruit. But that they were either beaten, killed, or stoned by the tenants. That the owner sent his very own son, thinking that they would respect him because he is his son, but they did not. Instead, the tenants seized him, they cast him out of the vineyard, and they killed him. Now notice how Jesus ends this parable. He ends it by ensuring that they clearly understand the meaning of this parable. He does this by asking them a question. He does this by referring to Holy Scripture. And he does this by stating the consequences for those who do not produce fruit. So in the remaining minutes, let us quickly walk through these scenes. But first, let us pray. O Lord, we beseech you to keep your household, the church, in continual godliness, that through your protection it may be free from all adversities and devoutly given to serve you in good works to the glory of your name. So may the words of my mouth and may the meditations of our hearts Be acceptable and fruitful in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. And so in the first scene, we are told that the owner went to great lengths to develop a productive vineyard. That he planted vines, 
that he put a fence around these vines, that he dug a wine press expecting fruit to come from these vines. He constructed a tower to actively defend these vines from would-be thieves and marauding animals. And that he leased his vineyard. He leased it out to vine dressers who were hired to tend his vines. You see, there is great privilege for those who are members of his vineyard. Outside the fence, it is wild, overgrown and fruitless. But inside the fence is a vineyard that must bear the finest of fruit. And so who is this vineyard after all? We are told in our Old Testament reading. Isaiah chapter 5, verse 7, the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel. The household, the church. We're given countless examples in Scripture of God's elect referred to as His vineyard. He separated them from other nations and made them a chosen people who were to produce fruit. There are countless blessings of God's for God's elect, but God's elect are distinct from all the rest. They live in the light, not in darkness. They are fruitful, not barren. They're in fellowship, not alone. They are in covenant with God and his people. They delight in his law and his good news. Why? Because the Lord has done great things. Things for them. He's gone to great lengths to develop a fruitful vineyard. There's great blessing, you see. There is great privilege for his vineyard. And we should think on these things. You see, his vineyard is his household, it is his church. And so I ask have we any privilege? Have we any blessing? Are we the sons and the daughters of Abraham? Are we of the house of Israel? Are we members of the church of God? If we are, then let us count our blessings. Let us acknowledge what God has done and be assured that we are members of his fruitful vineyard. Think of what we have. Think of the many blessings That we have. Think of the many arrangements for which God has done throughout the ages to make us fruitful. Have we not our Bibles? Have we not the ability to read and to hear and to study it? Have we not the faith that is once delivered and passed down throughout the ages of the church? Have we not access to the Father? by the Son, through the Spirit, then let us pray. Let us cherish all that we have in Christ. Let us make it our aim to discover and delight in all that He has done. We are privileged, church. We are blessed. We need not to work, but to rest. Yes, to discover And to delight in all that he has done to make us a people producing fruit. So are we people of gratitude or people of greed? 
In the first scene, we saw how the Lord has gone to great lengths to develop a productive vineyard. And in the second and third scenes, we see how this story takes a strange and a sudden turn that seems only to compound into greater despair. We see how the tenants of his vineyard overlooked all that the owner has done. How they responded not with gratitude, but with greed. They saw his service not as a blessing, but as a curse. A curse to avoid. How strange. You see, not only did they refuse to give him his requested wine, they mistreated his servants and even killed one of them. And they did this on two separate occasions. Clearly, Christ is referring to the treatment of the Old Testament prophets when he spoke of these servants. They were rarely welcomed, but scoffed and mistreated and not believed. In 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 13, we see how Jezebel killed many prophets and tried to do the same to Elijah. In Jeremiah 20, verses 1 and 2, we see how the prophet Jeremiah was beaten and chained. And in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 11, verse 47, Christ himself alludes to the murder of unnamed prophets. And so I ask, are we listening and obeying to the word of the Lord? Are the words of our mouth and the meditation of our hearts acceptable in his sight? Are we beating and killing and stoning God's servants? Before we are about bishop, we are about the Bible. It must guide us and direct us. It may govern our entire life. Yes, we must be kind to the servants of the Lord. And after these tenants had mistreated his servants and even killed some of them, we are told in verse 37 that the owner sent a messenger for a third time. Clearly a number signifying perfection, completion. Yes, the owner sent his very own son. He thought surely they would respect his son, and this is logical, right? Why would they hurt and injure or even kill the owner's son. But this is what they did. For some reason, they did not recognize that the, by the owner sending his very own son, he was showing how much he loved his vineyard. That is not what they saw. No, all they could see was what they loved. And it was not him. They wanted what he had. And so we're told in verse 39 that they seized him, that they cast him out of the vineyard, and that they killed him. Just as Christ was crucified outside of Jerusalem, so was the son of the owner of the vineyard killed outside of his father's vineyard. Clearly, Christ is foretelling of his crucifixion. But why would Christ be crucified? Why would the son of the owner of the vineyard be killed? Well, the answer is simple. Because they loved the wrong thing. 
how grave a mistake it is to love the wrong thing. And notice what it was that they loved. We're told in verse 38, they wanted the owner's owner's inheritance. They loved the owner's inheritance. They loved the vineyard, not the owner. This is what they loved. It seems benign, but this was the impetus that drove them to mistreat and to kill his servants and son. Beloved, we are not to acknowledge what the vineyard has done, but what the owner of the vineyard has done. Beware that we do not love the church more than the Lord of the church. There's a temptation to love religion more than the righteous one. He knows that loving the vineyard will only make us greedy, not grateful. But if we are to be of his vineyard, then we must be grateful. We must be fruitful. You see, greed is the very sinful trait that will cause one to beat, kill, and stone God's servants and son. Self-interest is the sinful trait that rejects the cornerstone of God's kingdom and keeps people from producing fruit. So let us remember how privileged we are, not how productive we are. Let us remember how blessed we are, not how much better we are. Let us remember, as C.S. Lewis says, that the great aim of life is to get outside of oneself. Yes, let us remember to love him supremely, not his inheritance, but him and him alone. We can love good things too much, you know. Are we willing to take up our crosses and follow him? Are we willing to give up those things that we want so much? Are we enemies of the cross, as Paul says in our epistle reading? Are we willing to love him supremely? We must be willing to put everything else aside. Even God's blessed gifts must not be distractions of loving him. Now notice after telling this story, Jesus ensures that they get the point of his parable. He wants to make it clear to them. I remember in seminary a friend telling me that he's, we've heard great preachers, but speaking of a particular preacher that came and spoke at our seminary, he says, but he's the kind of preacher who wants you to get the point. And that's what we see here with Jesus. He's not just an excellent orator. He wants to make sure that these religious leaders, that these religious ones, get the point. Because this is important. In verse 40, he says, When therefore the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? He asks them the question, and these religious leaders provide nearly a prophetic answer. They say he will put those wretches to a miserable death 
and rent out the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the fruit in their season. Beloved, there is not only a grave temptation for the church, but there are grave consequences for her, too, if she bears no fruit. That is what we must do. We must bear fruit. For she will be replaced if she is fruitless. The kingdom of God will be taken away from her and given to people producing its fruit, Jesus says. But the point is not to scare. The point is to humble. Yes, to make us grateful, not greedy. This is the fruit of our Lord's vineyard. It is gratitude. Yesterday, I attended Kevin Harrell's memorial. And Sandy, his wife, told the story of when he became diagnosed with leukemia. He said to her this statement. He said, let us make a choice. In these remaining days, to be grateful. Let us be grateful every day what God has given us. What a testimony. What a witness. To be people of gratitude, church, this is the fruit of the vineyard. And if this fruit cannot exist then we are not of the house of Israel. And we are overcome by adversities. We must be children of fruit. Yes, we must be broken into pieces by falling upon this stumble, humbled, broken into pieces of gratitude. Yes, if we are to bear fruit, let us not follow our own interests, but trust in the interests of the owner of the vineyard. Let us take up our crosses and deny ourselves. Let us gladly and willingly endure our crosses like Christ endured his because of the joy that was set before him. This is the mystery of our faith. Our Lord knew that he would be rejected Our Lord knew that we would reject him. But by rejecting him, he has become the cornerstone of the kingdom of God. So let us deny ourselves. Let us humble ourselves. And let us be grateful for the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And this was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Amen.